Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Previously on The James Brown Mystery, the detective investigating Adrian Brown's death gets a tip from an informant. I know he murdered James Brown's wife. I think it was part of the plan to make it look like an overdose. This was premeditated murder. Did she ever talk with you about being involved with a doctor? Yes. What can you tell me about that? He shot her up with heroin. And we actually go and visit this doctor and ask if he killed Adrian. But that doesn't stop Jackie Hollander from getting threatening phone calls. It seems that someone wants her to keep quiet about James Brown's death. I've had two calls tonight, and they threatened my life. In the five years I've known Jackie Hollander, there's this one question I've asked her countless times. She says many other people have asked her this question, too. It goes something like this. If James Brown ruined your life, why do you care so much about proving he was murdered? Jackie has her reasons. They'll take a while to explain. First, you should know she sued Brown for rape in 2005, almost 17 years after that fateful ride into the woods of South Carolina. She wanted to face him in a public courtroom. I wanted to say to him, you took my soul, you took my trust, you took my ability to look at people and see them in a good light. You turned the beauty of life into a nightmare. And how did you imagine that might go? I was hoping he would say he was sorry. In 2005, a federal judge dismissed Jackie's lawsuit because the statute of limitations had expired. She had filed the suit 15 years too late. But Jackie wouldn't give up. She argued that since Brown had told her to keep quiet or she would be killed, she deserved more time to file the suit. Jackie kept appealing, kept losing, kept refusing to give up. She was still pressing her case on Christmas Eve 2006 when James Brown was in the hospital. There was a chance her lawsuit against him would be heard by the U.S. Supreme Court. I had this just eerie, eerie feeling that something was coming down the chute. I couldn't tell you what it was, but I felt like something was. And then something did happen. About 3 o'clock in the morning, the phone rang. And it was my lawyer, and he said, I have just received a phone call. James Brown is dead. And I passed out. Jackie was in shock. She was finally ready to confront Brown, and now he was gone? Jackie tried to pull it together to think through the news of Brown's death. And the more she thought about it, the less she believed the official story. She had no evidence of foul play, just a vague sense that the story didn't add up. A hunch that someone had done something to Brown. And did this make Jackie happy? Did she celebrate the demise of the man who caused her so much pain? No, Jackie says. 
she was angry. They took my chance to face him in court from me. I wanted him to sit up there and sweat and apologize to me. In Jackie's view, whoever killed Brown also took something valuable from her, a chance to hold Brown accountable in court. That was one reason she wouldn't let it go. One reason she kept digging for some deeper truth, some alternate explanation for his death. Yes, Brown was old and sick, and he could have died of natural causes. It's also possible he died of an accidental overdose after willingly taking illegal drugs in the hospital. But about 10 years after Brown died, Jackie says, she found a more disturbing explanation. Jackie says she stumbled upon some compelling evidence that Brown was murdered. And not only that, she says someone actually confessed. And I mean, this was all explained to me in vivid detail. I was physically sick to my stomach, and I wanted to get away from her. From CNN, this is The James Brown Mystery. I'm your host, Thomas Lake. This is Episode 6, The Duffel Bag. If I rule the world... In 1999, seven years before he died, James Brown played a show at the House of Blues in Las Vegas. Brown and his sidemen looked sharp in royal blue, and his backup singers, six women known as the Bittersweets, wore black evening gowns. About halfway through the set, Brown invited one of the Bittersweets to center stage, the same woman Jackie would later come to suspect of being involved in James Brown's death. You're the first to see this. Candace, coming out pretty later. Uh-huh. Brown introduces this blonde woman, Candace Hurst, to the Vegas crowd. On stage that night, Candace sways with the music and takes over the microphone, savoring her rare moment in the spotlight. Had plenty money, 19, she toured and sang with James Brown for most of his final decade. It was incredible touring the world, spreading positive message through music, meeting presidents, Princess Anne, you know, seeing the world, getting to do something that you love. It was the best experience of my life, honestly. Candace worked as James Brown's hairdresser, too, keeping that famous pompadour looking just right. Near the end of Brown's life, she says, they were also lovers. It took seven years for our relationship to evolve in that. He was my best friend, and we got along in every other area, and we just took it to the next level. He was a wonderful man. We had a blast together. We honestly did. We had so much fun. Candace Hurst says she was nowhere near the hospital the night Brown died. Her daughter told me the same thing. But Jackie Hollander is convinced that Candace did play a role in Brown's death. Here's why. About a decade after Brown's death, Candace and Jackie met in Augusta, Georgia. They both say they were introduced by Buddy Dallas, James Brown's lawyer. This meeting would change both women's lives. According to Jackie, she and Candace were at a Mexican restaurant in early 2016, and they started talking about James Brown. She said, I have something to tell you. And she started crying, and she said, I think I killed him. Jackie struggled to understand. Here they were in a crowded restaurant, and she was giving Jackie a new account of James Brown's final moments. Jackie knew that Brown's right-hand man, Charles Bobbitt, was with Brown at the hospital when he died. And Bobbitt said he was the only other person there in Brown's final moments. But now, according to Jackie, Candace was saying she'd been there too. 
Then, Jackie says, Candace added another shocking detail. For Jackie, it was confirmation of something she'd long suspected, that James Brown did not die of natural causes. She was in the hospital room with him, with Charles Bobbitt, and that the drugs were on a tray, and the Brown freaked or something, and the tray dropped, and it hit her shoes, and it went all over her clothes, and he wouldn't die fast enough, and Bobbitt came in. There was a glass of water, and he put these herbs in the water, and they gave it to Brown to help him pass over because he wouldn't die quick enough. I never got a chance to interview Charles Bobbitt about this allegation. He died in 2017. Some people say he was loyal to Brown, while others have questioned his motives. Anyway, there at the Mexican restaurant, Jackie was astounded by what Candace Hurst had just told her about James Brown's death. She wasn't sure why Candace was telling her this stuff. If Candace knew about that night in the woods in 1988, it's possible she thought Jackie would be sympathetic or even grateful. Also, Jackie says that at some point in the conversation, Candace seemed to realize that other people in the restaurant might overhear them. And Jackie thinks that's why Candace abruptly changed her story. She says Candace told her the anecdote she'd just relayed to Jackie, that she and Charles Bobbitt had been in Brown's hospital room, and that Brown died after ingesting one or more toxic substances. This was only a vision she'd had. It didn't actually happen. Candace wasn't there in the hospital room the night James Brown died. But to Jackie, it didn't sound like a vision. It sounded real. I mean, it was a confession. I'm not going to sit here and say it sounded like it. It was a freaking confession that she had killed James Brown. When Candace Hurst sat down with me for an interview, one thing that struck me was how much Candace and Jackie agreed on. When I compared their accounts of their various interactions in 2016, the details were mostly the same. How they met, what they talked about, the unusual sequence of events that led Jackie to acquire what she believed to be evidence of criminal activity related to James Brown's death. But Candace said Jackie was wrong about the most important thing. Candace told me she had nothing to do with James Brown's death. I did not kill James Brown. I wanted the best for him. I loved him. I wouldn't hurt a hair on his head. Candace said she did tell Jackie about a vision she had, a vision about James Brown being poisoned. She even suspected foul play in Brown's death. But Candace told me she never confessed to Jackie that she murdered James Brown. Despite what Jackie says Candace told her in the Mexican restaurant, Candace says she never even visited Brown in the hospital. I love Jackie Day. I mean, I think she's a wonderful person. She helps children, you know. Anyone that helps children is, cannot be a bad person, you know. So just a little miscommunication. I talk really fast, too, and I'm very passionate at different times. And so maybe things could be a little misconstrued. So I asked Jackie about this again. You don't misunderstand when someone is confessing a murder to you. You don't misunderstand when someone is breaking down, trembling and crying over it. In the weeks after she first met Candace in early 2016, Jackie would find more reasons to suspect that Candace was involved in James Brown's death. Soon after the meeting at the Mexican restaurant, Jackie went to see Buddy Dallas, James Brown's lawyer. He's the one who connected Jackie and Brown in the 80s. They drifted apart in the 90s, but after Brown's death, they reconnected. Buddy was kind to Jackie. 
He texted her Bible verses and even paid for her thyroid medicine when she ran out of money. Now Jackie needed to talk to Buddy about Candace. I went to him and I said, uh, this woman just confessed to killing your client. And he just sat there staring at me. He just looked at you? He didn't make any face at all. He just stared at me. And I stared at him. We'll get back to the strange story of Jackie and Candace in a moment. But first, we need to take a slight detour into the background of Buddy Dallas, the lawyer who introduced Jackie and Candace, and later orchestrated the sequence of events that led Jackie to believe she had evidence that James Brown was murdered. By many accounts, Buddy Dallas is a brilliant man. And when I looked into his background, I learned that more than 30 people had accused him of unethical behavior in business ventures related and unrelated to James Brown. Most of these allegations against Buddy have something to do with lying, cheating, or stealing, although he denied any wrongdoing, and he's never been criminally charged or found civilly liable in the cases I've reviewed. Buddy says he served Brown faithfully for 22 years. But after Brown's death, Buddy was fighting some of Brown's children for control of an estate worth nearly $100 million. They were suspicious of a strange provision in Brown's will. The three trustees Brown appointed to run his estate were authorized to spend up to half the estate's gross income on management. Even a judge noted this was an unusual arrangement. One of those appointed trustees was, you guessed it, Buddy Dallas. All through the battle over Brown's estate, Buddy said he was just honoring James Brown's wishes. Some colleagues and friends told me Buddy was good to Brown, and all three trustees said they'd done nothing wrong. But Brown's daughter, Deanna, told me she had her doubts about the men in charge of her father's estate. I love my father. I wish he would have organized with some different people, trustworthy people, people who wouldn't steal from his hard work. And do you believe any of them were working in your father's interests, were, were, no. were honest men? None of them. No. All of them were, were cheating or stealing from him in some way? Yes, sir. I talked to Buddy Dallas in 2020. He wouldn't let me record our phone call, and I didn't get a chance to ask him about everything. But on that call, Buddy did share a few thoughts about Jackie. He said she's an attention seeker who can't be trusted. He told me if Jackie says the house is on fire, that probably means there's a candle burning in the dining room. That didn't square with my experience over the years. As strange as Jackie's stories often sounded at first, I'd found corroboration for them again and again. And I verified the odd sequence of events I'm about to relate to you. It involves Jackie, Buddy Dallas, Candace Hurst, and something Candace called the James Brown duffel bag. It's the story of how Jackie acquired what she believes is evidence of James Brown's murder. The story is so bizarre that I'm not sure anyone would believe it unless there was proof. Well, not long after I first met Jackie, she reluctantly let me do something no one else has ever let me do before or since. Download all the text messages from her iPhone. I'll show you how the program works. It says taking everything, my messages, everything. My call log, my voicemail, my contacts. Oh my gosh. Jackie's text messages run from 2015 to 2017 and add up to more than 1,300 pages. Many of them are conversations with Buddy Dallas. I know this because the messages are to and from the same phone number on which I've spoken to Buddy many times. And these messages confirm Jackie's story about what happened after her meeting at the Mexican restaurant with Candace Hurst. 
In one exchange, Buddy forwarded Jackie an intriguing text message from Candace. In it, Candace asked Buddy for help. She needed to retrieve some important items from a storage unit. The rent on the storage unit was overdue, and the items inside were about to be auctioned off if the bill wasn't paid. These items had something to do with James Brown. Candace wrote, It will not be good if they do this, buddy. With the first thing is a James Brown duffel bag with a lot of stuff, including the dope he was doing the last week of his life in there. When I sat down with Candace, I asked her about this text message. There was a duffel bag when he passed away, and it was what I was wearing the last week of his life. Candace said the duffel bag in her storage unit was from the time she spent with James Brown at his house in South Carolina in late 2006, right before he died. She said the bag contained undergarments and shoes that had cocaine and marijuana residue on them. And the shoes, on the bottom of the shoes, had cocaine from putting in the marijuana, the little crack rocks. Candace told me she and Brown used these drugs at his house in the final month of his life. What he would do is, or I would do it, he'd take a cigarette and I'd just unroll it like that and the tobacco would go in the trash can, I'd have it right there, and then load up the cigarette with marijuana and some little crack rocks would be in there and then twist the end. So when he would do it, some would fall on the floor. I mean, because there'd be stuff all over the floor. Every morning, Mr. Washington had to come in there and sweep and it would be tobacco and little rocks. Besides the underwear and shoes, the duffel bag also contained James Brown's combs and hair rollers. And I kept all of this in this bag. I mean, it was my bag I took over to the house every night. I kept everything, his DNA, everything to prove my innocence. For years, the rumors have been flying around that he was murdered, but I was accused of it because I was with him the last week. So this would prove my innocence if he was. But see, I was smoking with him, and I'm alive, so the dope didn't kill him. I didn't kill him. Candace was in a jam. She had these items in a duffel bag that she thought could prove her innocence. But she also knew they could be incriminating, and she didn't want to lose control of them if the managers of the storage facility decided to auction them off. So Candace asked Buddy Dallas for help. And the text messages make it clear that not only did Buddy Dallas help Candace, he got Jackie involved, too. Buddy texted Jackie, Find out when they are going to sell the stuff. Buy it cheap. Why would Buddy Dallas send Jackie Hollander on an errand like this? At the time, they were friends, and he obviously trusted her. For her part, Jackie was curious about what she'd find in the storage unit. So the next morning, Jackie picked up Candace and they drove to the storage unit. Around this time, Jackie texted Buddy that Candace was afraid she'd be arrested for what they'd find there. Buddy didn't reply to that message, or the next one Jackie wrote about Candace. The message said, She must have done something really wrong to Brown. She is panicking. Yes, I was panicking because this whole murder conspiracy, and like I said, I didn't want to look guilty like I had done anything, and this bag might have made it look like, because I was the last one with him that last week. When Candace says murder conspiracy, she's referring to allegations from others that she says are false. She and Jackie arrived at the storage unit, and Jackie paid the overdue rent. They retrieved two plastic storage bins of Candace's things. And I put them in the back of my Jeep, and I said, let's get out of here. I dropped her off, but before I could drop her off, she's trying to go in the storage bin. 
And she goes, no, I need to check something. And I said, absolutely not. It's not your property anymore. We just bought it. So get your hands out of our property. And I was vicious. I mean, I was not playing with her. Jackie had done what Buddy Dallas asked her to do. With financial help from Buddy, she had basically bought the items in Candace's storage unit. Jackie says she imagined bringing Buddy the James Brown duffel bag and the other items. She thought she and Buddy would go through all the stuff together and then, if necessary, call the police with some new information about the death of James Brown. But that's not what happened. When Jackie called and said she would bring him the items they'd just paid for, she was astounded by Buddy's response. And he is like, don't you f- come into this county. Don't even come close to here with that evidence. And I'm thinking, what the hell am I going to do? And I called him back. I said, buddy, hey, I need to drop this stuff off. It's all in my car. It's taking up the whole car. And he said, I want you to go dump it at a dump site or go dump it in the lake. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number Smart Beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number Smart Beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra-processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff, and some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. Did Buddy Dallas really ask Jackie Hollander to throw the James Brown duffel bag into a lake? On the phone about four years later, I asked Buddy about this. He wouldn't give me permission to record, but he confirmed what Jackie said. He told her to get rid of the stuff she got from Candace's storage unit. When I asked if he was curious about what was in the bag, he said, Mr. Brown is deceased. Mr. Brown is buried. The medical authorities took no action. And thus, when it came to Candace's stuff, he said, I didn't even want to see it. And I damn sure didn't want to have anything to do with it. I believe Buddy Dallas when he says this. It helps explain why he sent Jackie on a mission he could theoretically have run himself. Jackie thinks Buddy didn't want to touch anything that might have a link to James Brown's death. She's convinced he wanted to keep his hands clean and let Jackie deal with it. But Jackie was taken aback by Buddy's command to dispose of what she believed to be evidence. And now she wasn't sure she could trust Buddy. That was when I 
kind of was like, something's wrong here. And I got very, very nervous. The day of the storage unit run had been a long one. After Jackie dropped off Candace, she drove back to her motorhome outside Augusta. As she weighed her options, she brought the plastic bins from Candace's storage unit into her motorhome for safekeeping. What was in there? Given the story Candace had told her, Jackie wondered if some of it was toxic. This suspicion grew after she got a text message that night from the man she calls Ghost. You might remember this name from an earlier episode. Ghost, a.k.a. Christian St. John or Van St. John, is the guy who called me five times on a no-caller ID number late one night in 2017. Hi, Tom. This is Van St. John from the Buddy Dallas. Uh, I think I have some information for you. Ghost first reached out to Jackie after James Brown died. He originally told her he was a journalist interested in telling her story as it related to the Godfather of Soul. And over time, Ghost won Jackie's trust. They texted regularly about things related to James Brown. And on the day Jackie got Candace's items from the storage unit, she talked to Ghost to let him know she'd found the James Brown duffel bag. On the phone, Ghost had a lot of questions. She says the longer they talked, the more he seemed to be panicking about what Jackie had found and what she might do with it. It was clear to Jackie that he wanted it kept secret. And in this conversation, Jackie says, Ghost accidentally gave her useful information. In a text to Jackie that I've seen, Ghost asked if the duffel bag from Candace's storage unit contained, quote, the lace poisoning that she used to poison him. I asked Jackie if she knew what Ghost meant by that. She had already told me that, that the dope had been laced 10 times higher and that they had laced it. Your answer to that question is yes. Candace did tell you? Yes, she did. That the bag contained lace poisoning that she used to poison him? Yes. To clarify here, Candace told me she thought there were traces of marijuana and cocaine in the James Brown duffel bag, the one she'd been keeping in storage. But Jackie says Candace told her this was no ordinary cocaine. It was ten times more potent than usual or laced with a chemical that made it lethally poisonous. That's the lace poisoning that Ghost mentions in his text to Jackie. So I asked Candace about this. Jackie Hollander tells me there's been several conversations you had with her mm-hmm. and that this drug, crack cocaine, sometimes called Cocoa Puffs, that the Cocoa Puffs were laced this week and that the dealer said to you, this time they're 10 times stronger than usual. No. They would poison someone. No, that's incorrect. That's not. She she misunderstood. No. Once again, Candace and Jackie disagree. Candace recalled the conversation Jackie's talking about, but said Jackie misinterpreted her words. She told me something pretty amazing that a drug dealer told her Brown was smoking too much crack cocaine. Candace said she told the dealer. And I said, well, lighten it up then. Meaning, if he's smoking that much, then make it not as potent is what that meant. So Jackie might have just misunderstood what I meant by that. In a later interview, I asked Candace about the text message Ghost sent Jackie. On the day Jackie Hollander recovered your black duffel bag from your storage unit, a man known as Christian St. John texted this message to her, quote, Did Candace tell you the contents in the bag is the lace poisoning that she used to poison him? (laughs) 
What's the lace poisoning? Uh, I have Did you no poison idea. James you, Brown? No, I was hoping you could tell me. You hadn't gotten anywhere. You just stopped at me and didn't even go looking. You need to go ask some of the other people that hooked me up with you and all these other people that are talking down about me. You know, ask them some questions. So that's how Candace responded to my question about the text message from Ghost. Meanwhile, as Jackie mulled over what to do with the storage bins sitting in her motorhome, she kept getting more text messages from Ghost. He seemed to be getting more and more agitated. He told her in one message that she could be arrested for James Brown's death. He wanted the answer to this question. Did Buddy get the bag with the chemicals that were used to lace JB's cocoa puffs? Jackie says Ghost and Buddy Dallas were making it clear they did not want her to go public with what she knew. Buddy was basically crying on the phone to me, and he goes, I am begging you not to do this, not to let it get out. When I asked Buddy Dallas about this, he said these were baseless comments and called Jackie untrustworthy and totally unreliable. Anyway, Jackie says she agreed to stay quiet, but she didn't get rid of Candace's stuff. She kept the bins hidden in a compartment under her motorhome and covered them up with blankets. And as Jackie considered her next move, she thought about James Brown and what, if anything, she owed the man. Nine years earlier, when she first suspected he'd been killed, she was angry that someone had taken away her chance to confront him in court. Now she thought of another reason to keep pushing for answers about his death and to speak out no matter the cost. I felt compassion. I felt there's a right and a wrong. Am I going to take the wrong road and cover up James Brown's death just because he violently hurt me? Am I going to go to the right and walk the right road and get justice for the man? Which turn am I going to take? Jackie didn't throw the stuff away, and she didn't keep quiet. She drove her motor home out of Georgia, taking the James Brown duffel bag and the rest of Candace's stuff with her. Later, when she was in Illinois, she says Buddy told her once again to throw the stuff away. Jackie refused. And eventually he told her to talk to his lawyer, which Jackie did. She says that after she told Buddy's lawyer she had evidence relating to James Brown's death, the lawyer told Jackie she should turn the items over to law enforcement. Jackie went back to Buddy, who agreed with the lawyer, even though this was, in Buddy's words, a non-prosecutable case. Jackie says that ever since the 80s, when she said James Brown raped her, Buddy Dallas had been telling her she had a credibility problem. And for many years, he was right. When Jackie called the Atlanta Police Department to say she had information on James Brown's death, she says no one would listen to her. A few months after Jackie tried and failed to get the police interested, she called me for the first time. She said James Brown had been murdered, and there was some evidence she wanted to show me. It took me a while to understand her story, but once it started to make sense, once I realized that Jackie had items in a black duffel bag that might be covered in drug residue and might be relevant to James Brown's death, I talked to my bosses about it, and we agreed. Whether or not the police were investigating, there was nothing to prevent CNN from paying a lab to conduct some independent forensic tests. Hold up. 
Hacks is coming back, and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Aniello. We're the creators and showrunners. Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show like Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart. Hacks Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max. About a year after Jackie's first call to me, she drives back to Georgia, bringing the James Brown duffel bag with her. Just as Candace Hurst said, there's a pair of shoes in the duffel bag, black stilettos, with what appears to be drug residue on the soles. Candace already told me that if drug residue were found, it would be from her time using marijuana and crack cocaine with James Brown at his house. Jackie thinks the residue will confirm a different story, that Candace Hurst went to the hospital and played a role in giving Brown a fatal drug overdose. Jackie gives me one of Candace's black stiletto shoes for chemical testing. The results come back a month later. The shoe tests positive for cocaine and marijuana, just as Candace predicted. But there's a surprise. Another drug shows up too. The shoe shows traces of diltiazem, a prescription drug taken for high blood pressure and chest pain. I ask Candace Hurst how diltiazem got on her shoe. I have no idea. Well, that's impossible for it to be on the bottom of my shoe. I wasn't at the hospital. Those shoes were worn in his bedroom. I'm sure there's video footage of it of him and I in his bedroom. He had security. I wonder about this. If Candace wasn't in Brown's hospital room, did she step on a diltiazem pill in his bedroom at home? When I look up diltiazem, I find out that traces of this drug have also turned up in cocaine. Looking for guidance, I go see Marvin Crawford, the doctor who treated Brown right before he died. He's the one I interviewed a few months earlier at the church with Andre White the friend who thinks Brown was murdered. Dr. Crawford already told me he wanted an autopsy for Brown. Now, when I tell him about the shoes and show him the lab report, he recognizes the drug diltiazem, and he recalls prescribing it for Brown in his last hospital visit. In other words, Brown was taking this drug right before he died, and Candace could have stepped on the diltiazem in Brown's hospital room. The diltiazem on her shoe, the marijuana, and the cocaine... It fits our picture of being highly suspicious that somebody perhaps could have given him any illicit substance that led to his death. Remember, Crawford is the doctor who signed Brown's death certificate, and he said all along he wanted an autopsy. Now he's saying the test results suggest the owner of the shoe could have been at the hospital and that James Brown's death could have involved cocaine. The test results aren't definitive. There's a chance Candace stepped on the diltiazem at Brown's house. And this question remains open. Was Candace Hurst at the hospital when James Brown died? She says she was at home in Augusta that night, 150 miles from the hospital, spending Christmas Eve with her family. Candace's daughter told me the same thing. But there was something else Jackie found in the duffel bag that seemed to indicate otherwise. A handwritten note. Candace admitted writing this note to herself. The note had a list of questions for Charles Bobbitt, Brown's personal manager, who was there the night Brown died. Candace had written, How did Mr. Brown know I was going to be with him when he died? 
This note could mean any number of things. When I asked Candace about it, she said no, it did not mean she was with Brown at the hospital when he died. But it wasn't just Jackie who thought Candace was at the hospital that night. I interviewed Tony Wilson, a singer who knew James Brown, and he told me that Candace told him she'd been at the hospital. And not only that, Wilson said Candace told him she partied with Brown before he died, and, quote, maybe that killed him. Candace denied telling Wilson those things. On the phone with her, I went down the list of reasons to believe she was there that night. The lab test showed diltiazem on your shoe, and the doctor gave James Brown diltiazem at the hospital. Plus, there was your note to self wondering how James Brown knew you were, quote, going to be with him when he died. And he died at the hospital. When you add them all up, a reasonable person might conclude that you were, in fact, at the hospital. Well, I wish I was so I could have said thank you and I love you. And, you know, God bless you. But I was never in Atlanta, never at the hospital. By late 2018, I'm nearly done with the reporting for an investigative series on the deaths of James and Adrian Brown. As I work with CNN's editors and lawyers to get the stories ready to publish on our website, weird and bad things keep happening. Three people close to James Brown die in a span of three weeks, including one whose death from a shotgun blast is ruled a suicide. I keep getting calls from unknown numbers. When I finally answer the phone, it's Ghost on the line, asking me a bunch of questions. I ask him for his real name and social security number, and when he won't give it to me, I end the call. On February 5th, 2019, Two years after Jackie the Circus Singer called me, my series is finally published on CNN's website. I fly to Washington, D.C. and go live on air to talk about what I found. I want to get now to this exclusive CNN investigation that raises questions about the death of James Brown, the godfather of soul. Why won't these questions of his death go away? Well, here's what I learned in my reporting. There are at least 13 people who knew James Brown. After the live hit on CNN, I head home to Atlanta. At the airport, I call Jackie to see how she's doing. Hey, Jackie, okay if I record this call? Yes, you can. There were so many delays on this project. So many times Jackie didn't believe any of this would come to light. Now, against all odds, her story is finally out in the world. I just wanted to have a little uh, record of how you were doing on the, the day everything came out. Um, it's just been to the point that I finally just finished reading the story because my phone keeps just ringing off the hook. All along, she's told me that she's felt trapped in the woods since 1988, forced to endlessly relive that horrific night with James Brown. But now, she's getting closer to breaking free. Thomas, I don't know how you did it. I don't know how you held up through this, me. I just know that you are helping me come out of the woods. After my story is published online, I'm wondering if it'll lead the authorities to open new investigations into the deaths of Adrian and James Brown. But that doesn't happen. Jackie calls the district attorney's office in Atlanta, but no one calls back. Months pass. She tells me strange men are following her and suspicious vehicles are parked outside her apartment. 
Still chasing the story, I email a list of questions to the DA's office in Atlanta, including one about why no one ever called Jackie back. The DA's spokesman tells me they have no record of Jackie calling. So Jackie goes through her old phone records and finds proof that she called the DA's office. I ask the DA's spokesman about the phone records proving Jackie called, and the spokesman emails me to say the district attorney is willing to sit down with Jackie if she would like to set up a meeting. I call Jackie and share the news. The first words I said is, let's go, let's go, let's rock. On February 8th, 2020, I fly to Illinois and meet Jackie. The next morning, we get on the road before dawn. In the back of her Hummer is a green plastic storage bin full of Candace's stuff, including the James Brown duffel bag. Instead of throwing it in a lake, she's bringing all this stuff back to Georgia so she can turn it over to the district attorney. No matter how dangerous it might be, she intends to walk into the courthouse in Atlanta and tell prosecutors that James Brown was murdered. I feel good doing this. Yes, I do. I'm on my way. I'm going to take back my life. I may get killed. I really may. But by God, I'm going through those doors. On the next episode of The James Brown Mystery. So as I understand it, this concerns the death of James Brown. That is correct. If it was not a natural death, do you know what caused the death? I believe I do, sir. Bobby knew something suspicious had happened. He knew it. He would always use the word they. They are watching. They this. They that. That's just the way he felt up until the day he died. The James Brown Mystery is hosted and reported by me, Thomas Lake. Our executive producer is Abby Fentress Swanson. Our senior producer is Felicia Patinkin, and our producers are Rachel Cohn, Anne Lagamayo, Lori Galaretta, and Jennifer Lott. Our associate producers are Emmanuel Johnson, Nathan Miller, and Sonia Tan. And our production assistant is Eden Getachew. Our story editor is David Weinberg, and our production manager is Tamika Balance Kolasny. Liz Roberts and Kira Posey lead audience strategy for our show, and Jameis Andrus and Nicole Pesseru designed our artwork. Erica Wong is our mix engineer and sound designer. Selena Uthabe is our assistant sound engineer, and Dan Dezula is CNN Audio's senior manager of production operations. Theme and original music composed by David Steinberg and Nathan Miller. Special thanks to Mia Taylor, Courtney Coop, Katie Hinman, Lindsay Abrams, Robert Mathers, Dalila Paul, Andrea White, Anissa Gray, Janita Du, Ram Ramgapal, Lisa Namaro, and John Dianora. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max. A new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. 
Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.